Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Dr. Paul, welcome back. It is a big honor to have you back on the program. I am very happy to have you here. Um, Maybe we will start today's conversation just trying to think ahead to 2024 and maybe what we expect to see in the world. Okay, that sounds interesting. It's a real challenge because I admit uh, there are limits on what what you can really predict or anticipate, but obviously that's what we do all the time, everybody, what's going to happen next year, next month. Of course, I've uh, done that for years, uh, both in and out of politics. Uh, I first got fascinated with uh, studying and understanding uh, with uh, free market economics back in the 70s. Uh, after the Bretton Woods system broke down and there was, uh, you know, uh, a big change in the monetary system. And since then, we've had chaos and debt and that sort of thing. So I've looked at that and many of the things that I was concerned about, because, see, I remember the date very clearly, August uh, 15th in 1971. And that's when Nixon closed the gold window. And I said, this is a big deal. It was a Sunday night. There was only one other doctor in town that I knew knew anything about what, what was happening. So I called him and we had a talk that night. I said, this is going to be a big deal. It has been. The 70s were a big deal, but it's continuing. Even, even as we speak, it's still going on, trying to sort out value. Because what happened back in uh, 1971 is they eliminated totally and completely the definition of the unit of account, the dollar. And yet the dollar has survived chaotically. And that's why we have the mess that we have. It it also means that we can, from this, uh, make predictions and understanding that if uh, the world uh, is pleased and will keep working with the dollar, which they have, as, as messy as it's been there, it invites I saw a lot of bad things. It invites debt, malinvestment, big government, internationalism. It invites war and all these problems because everything seems to be free because even though the dollar can't be defined and it's fiat and it encouraged these things, the dollar and the country, our country has been so strong that it really never gets challenged. Uh, the market has to do that. The politicians dance around it they they really the people i knew in washington either the ones we hear today 
There may be a few talking about the deficit, but they do not understand how serious this problem is. Where and it, and it emanates from the fact that there was a big change in the monetary policy way back in the 1970s. And uh, one thing for sure that I can assume is not only in the 70s that we'd have problems, but that the system we have now, the amount of debt and interference and size of government the wars are in cannot last. They will come to an end. But the one thing is, it's in Austrian economics, you can predict trends. And uh, for instance, if uh, if you print too much money, the value of money is going to go down. That's not too complicated. But the the, the whole thing is, you can predict trends and understand stupid policies produce stupid things, but you can't because of human action, human reaction. You don't know when that's going to happen. So the when is not theirs makes it difficult for people to make plans, financial plans, political plans, all these kind of things, because uh, the actions of millions and millions of people are unpredictable, although we should be able to figure it out and say, we're in for big trouble, and that's where I stand on the future in general. So you mentioned something very interesting in there, a unit of account, a unit of account for people all over the world. Over the last generation, few generations, it has been the U.S. dollar. Do you think that we will be seeing a new reserve currency, a new worldwide unit of account that we'll be able to use? Uh, yes, absolutely. It'll come. But I... I'm very certain that nobody's going to be able to predict the date. You know, I think there will be a transition into it. There are times when great wars break out and all of a sudden the reserve currency after the war is won or lost uh, might change its status. But it's uh, it's it's something that uh, will come because what we have is not durable. Uh, it, it will not uh, be able to continue to do this run up debt. The markets are more powerful uh, than the fiat money and the politicians. And that's why that's why the pseudo gold standard up until 1971, after taking the dollar from $20 an ounce of gold to $35 an ounce, it was predictable that it would come to a conclusion. And it did. And that's what will happen you know, uh, with, with the system we have now and, and the BRICS and others are planning, they're using it. But I don't, uh, I, I, my personal opinion, if I had to guess, it's not going to happen next month and it's going to happen in one day. I think uh, the dollar will uh, gradually be eliminated. If there is a, some type of a major event, maybe it will accelerate and have a conclusive end. But I don't think we're on the verge of that, uh, which uh, which means that people have to know about it for political, economic and social reasons and for our well-being. Basically, the thing that people should worry about with the chaos that people are uh, uh, suffering from and are created artificially uh, will be the loss of our liberty. And uh, that's why that's why the solution doesn't come from government. It was the marketplace that said that thirty five dollars an ounce in 1971 was fake. And there were a lot of people who knew that for 10 or 15 years. But the markets are very powerful and they went out. That's why I am very confident that the amount of debt we have accelerating at a 
much more rapid speed than ever before. It's exponential now. It's 31, 32 trillion. And who knows if next year is at $60 trillion, we're in really big trouble. But uh, it'll get to 60 at the rate we're going. As long as we keep it going, these trends will continue. But uh, people a lot of times ask, well, what can you do? How can you send me more money? People think it's a shortage of money, yet it's a problem with too much money. So, uh, but I try to tell people that uh, they should invest. Uh, and I've invested accordingly because I think some things have happened, but that's not my first goal. My first goal is investing in the cause of liberty because it's the lack of confidence of liberty in liberty and our uh, the lack of confidence in our constitution that is the problem. And, and I want to see a renewal. And fortunately, we can see signs of that happening. And that's what I hope continues. Do you think that we will actually get back to a gold standard somewhere in the world, either as a reserve currency or maybe a block of countries like you mentioned the BRICS? I, I do, uh, whether it will be as good as I would like. Uh, but almost all <clears throat> currencies, when they go bad, they have to resort to something of real value. And you hear even stories, you know, of Venezuela trying to sell bonds or something that are gold backed. So there, there's talk of that. And uh, the, the world cannot function without a definition of a, the reserve currency. And it almost always demands that it has something of value and restored to it. Now, we've had one example in this country after the Civil War, where in 1875, uh, there was a Resumption Act. And they scheduled three years of uh, shrinking the greenbacks, get rid of the greenbacks, quit spending money, no wars overseas, no welfare state. And the people had confidence in the government and they believed it. At three years, there was a transition from uh, being off the gold standard for 15 years uh, that the price of gold went back down to $20 an ounce and they restored the, uh, the gold standard in 1878. Uh, and, and right now, people say, well, oh, you just made the case. We can do it. We can do it. And I say, no, conditions were different. The, the, the people don't believe the government. And that's a healthy thing because they're not believable anyway. And, uh, and we're too much involved. There's too much dependency on the welfare state, too much dependency on the planners uh, in the global economy and the deep state. They're really in charge of all, all the activity. That's why we won't see it without a cataclysmic collapse of the system. And that is why it's vital that the more people we can get involved in the uh, cause of liberty, the better off all of us will be. So in a way, I spend a lot of time on this issue. In, in a way, it's self-centered. Because I want to live in a free country. I want my family to live in a free country. But I don't spend, I, I try to be wise in what I do with my finances. But I don't spend my whole time, how am I going to become a billionaire? How can I become chairman of Ways and Means Committee? Or something like that. That's very secondary to me. It's trying to find people who will be willing to study and understand what liberty means and uh, the best example that we can use for people using that type of technique was, of course, uh, during the uh, uh, revolutionary period when we had our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution written.
Very well said. And absolutely, I follow in that dream as well. This entire event is about freedom. I'm helping to promote freedom in absolutely the best way that I know possible. And a lot of that has to do with the financial side and making sure that people are protected. I'm curious your opinion about all of the sanctions that we've seen over Russia over the last year or so and everything that's happened over there. What do you think the damage has been done by showing the world that they've weaponized the dollar? Well, it ha- it'll, it's a horrible thing. It's a dumb policy, this whole thing that, uh, you know, right now we're complaining about China and Russia talking to each other and trying to how to uh, overcome some of the things our, we're doing in our foreign policy. And I get to thinking, well, uh, we put sanctions on China. We put sanctions on Russia. We run, run the show and we take advantage of our clout militarily and financially by being allowed to issue the reserve currency of the world. Well, and, and right now we're complaining. We we blame Russia and China for the problems that we participated in. And uh, they say, well, China has all these dollars that are investing them all around the world. And they're even being involved in buying property here. But in reality, that, that is not the problem. In reality, the problem was that we had the reserve currency in the world. We had license to spend and print money. And we bought, we bought, and the, our consumers said, we want a best deal with our money because uh, America is not producing the right uh, right goods and at the right price. So uh, Americans went to China and bought their stuff. That's how, that's how China got all our money. They had all these dollars and now they're investing it. Quite frankly, I think it's a, a false uh, a, a false enemy to say it's all China's fault, uh, even though I don't defend them as a country, nor Russia and some of their politics. But they... Uh, they they are a result of our policy, and now when they come back, and there are many times when they're more acting more capitalistic than we do. You don't see China. Uh, we th- we hear the stories. China's ready to invade us, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, they uh, they they they're not as aggressive in making putting up bases on them. We're in 150 countries. And we have troops over there, and we're involved in almost all coups that occur around the world. So we have an empire, and it's not based on our constitution. It's not based on individual liberty. It's not based on what was in our Declaration of Independence. And this will end, and that's what the American people don't want to hear. They want to hear, what are you going to do for me to get me through it? And of course, we had the COVID disaster. What was what was the answer? Well, what's the government going to do to me? And that's when they really turned on the spigot of money. And everybody, people who got money didn't even know why they were getting it. And it was a lot of money. They still have so much money they printed for bailing out people that suffered from COVID that they're trying to figure out how to spend it, you know, this sort of thing. It's an insane policy, but the markets will the markets will react. And we will have eventually the, the destruction of this fiat currency, and what and we'll have to come up with a better idea. And the founders were very explicit: only gold and silver could be uh, used as money, and uh, and that uh, that is fine. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with having more. I want to. I want. Matter of fact, I wanted to 
uh, get rid of all the legal tender laws so we could be in competition. And so therefore, and some of the states, interesting enough now, are actually eliminating the laws in their states for charging taxes on buying and selling gold. Why should you go and buy a gold eagle? You sell it and you make $500 and they say, oh, we want the tax on it. And there'll be capital gains tax and sales taxes. But that that's a good movement that's going on. There are several states now that have eliminated that. And that is legalizing competition in a very constitutional way. Agreed. I've seen some of the state laws that are coming in in places like Utah and things like this. So it's definitely um, going in the right direction. Super exciting news. We just released our first in a series of expat guidebooks. These are in-depth country guides on how to move to another country. And the first one released is Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico. It took us over two years to compile all the research and write this book on Mexico. And coming in at 475 pages, you can really see how much work has gone into this. It's a complete guide on everything you need to know if you want to move to Mexico including where to live, immigration, taxes, lifestyle, buying property, how to get a driver's license, and a million other things you would never think you need the answers to. You can find the book directly on Amazon by searching for Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico or go to expatguidebooks.com, which will take you to our online shop where you will find the book. Go to expatguidebooks.com. That's expatguidebooks.com. Right. Now, you mentioned China. What do you think of the U.S. now arming Taiwan and spending billions of dollars on AIDS pa- on arms packages being sent over to Taiwan? Well, if I had uh, the say about what to do, I would want to trade and be friends and deal with China and Taiwan as much as possible. But I would be sending weapons to anybody uh, unless there's a war going on as a declared war and different circumstances. So no, the strength of Taiwan has to come because they're, they're good producers right now. That little island can produce wonderful because they were much more market oriented. But for us to keep sending weapons and then taking our naval vessels and dry, and taking them up near the coast and the, in the international waters, just looking for a problem, looking for, you know, an accident or somebody coming along on a false flag just to store, store up a problem. But that's one thing that is I think we face a greater threat by the way our Congress and our politicians are reacting toward China than the way they're reacting to Russia. And uh, we aren't exactly angels when we treat uh, Russia because we've made a lot of promises uh, to Russia since the Cold War ended that we would not be putting missiles on their borders. And here we are fighting a hot war, uh, you know, in Ukraine. And everybody, almost everybody on the major media uh, uh, announces this issue by saying, yes, and when Russia started this war with Ukraine, well, it was NATO uh, that started this war uh, uh, against Russia. And uh, that's that's a problem. And that's why, you know, you can get canceled if you if you start telling the truth about that. But I think we're winning some and the courts have helped us a little bit. And hopefully that movement of protecting First Amendment rights uh, continues, because I think without the First Amendment, you and I can't talk very well. You know, that's going to be denied. And I think that's uh, 
just think of how speech was uh, uh, res uh, restrained during the COVID. And even on the war issues, they notoriously have done that. All governments do that. But uh, that's why that's why I, I think the First Amendment is really vital so that we can uh, not not be imprisoned or canceled or lose our job uh, because of uh, just speaking out against the government. Well, with the Taiwan Strait, I've now seen that U.S. Coast Guard is sailing through the Taiwan Strait. This is ridiculous. I mean, Coast Guard should be on our coast, not on their coast. I mean, it's a very, very bizarre situation. Um, have you been following at all with Japan also doubling their national defense budget, taking it from 2% to 4%? And so a lot of weapons are being sent over there right now as well. Um, do you think that we will see war with China in the future? Are they gearing up for that or not? Well, if we continue to do what we're doing, there there's going to be a war, not so much that all of a sudden one side's going to declare war against the other, but there's going to be an escalation. And uh uh, I and, and we don't declare wars anymore. We don't have debates. I uh, just remember the first thing the UN did was promote uh, pro pro promote the idea that America had to be involved in the Korean War. Well, it wasn't declared war. It wasn't constitutional. But then again, what the heck? It's just a little old police action. It's what they called it. And I remember that well because I was in high school at the time. One of my teachers was uh, redrafted and sadly went off and was killed in, in Korea. No, I think the policies are going to likely lead to that. But uh, hopefully that we can wake up in time because it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, only the special interests benefit of uh, the people who start the wars aren't the people that are out there in the fields getting killed. Uh, it's the young kids that go out either for a feeling of patriotism or they're drafted. You know, uh, you think, oh, the draft, who, who worries about the draft? Well, I had a lot of relatives drafted in World War II. Uh, my teacher was drafted in the Korean War. I was drafted during the Vietnam War, you know, out of my medical residency. I had to, huh. you know, interfere my medical residency. To and, and At that time, it, the, the excuse at the time was the missiles in Cuba. But that was over by the time I was sworn in. But. They needed me for the war that was going on in Vietnam. And uh, I, I, I sincerely uh, tell a story that one of the reasons that I was thinking about medical school, then really wanted to go to medical school because I knew I could not be an infantryman. I knew that the draft was due. I was destined to be drafted and I would not carry a rifle. I just couldn't do it. So sure. that is the, that is the reason that was one of my motivations because the medical profession was usually treated a little bit differently and we didn't we didn't have to be expected to go around shooting people. Makes sense to me. I have actually seen a lot of my clients these days who have a legitimate concern if we do end up in a World War Three, if their children will be drafted, if they are going to reinstate some of these things. That, that's it, you know. And uh, you might ask the question. Uh, and even after the draft was removed, which is in the early 70s, uh, they've always had registration. And they were, uh, that was a, at one time a big argument on a House floor uh, for reinstating the registration. I was strongly opposed to it. And I got to thinking, you know, uh, well, why, why do they want us to register? Because if you don't register, they'll come and get you. <laughs> 
In this day and age, you think they don't know where the 18-year-olds are, but they they, they know where they are, but it's obedience and and you obey. And that was that whole thing of lockdown. The masks, you know, were uh, very harmful, but if you didn't wear a mask, that means you weren't obedient to the government. And that's a bad situation. Absolutely. Now, if we end up having the war continuing to escalate in Russia and Ukraine, if we end up getting war in with China or in the South China Sea, where do you see in the world might be a safe place for people to go if they want to get out of these types of areas? Well, I thought about that for a long time, and there may may be, and I have a lot of friends that have gone to different places. Uh, There'd be one, uh, one way I would think about that if I were single, and uh, I had the finances where I could go with my choosing, I'd find a place. There, there's a lot of people find places in South America and even Central America just getting out of the States. But uh, I never think about it anymore. <clears throat> I, I encourage people to do what they need to do for themselves. But I, uh, I'm not going to go anywhere. So I said, my fight is here. And uh uh, the other countries aren't exactly perfect either. So I say I, I'm I'm in a battle with my own government. I'm going to do what I can, but uh, that's that's where that's where I'm going to go and and stay and try to influence other people. But our the number of people that are influenced. But I also think. Uh, this is an intellectual fight. It's a moral war. It's a understanding. So this is the reason that uh, the individual that uh, influenced me the most was Leonard Reed, who had the Foundation for Economic Education. And I, uh, I did, uh, you, you know, his whole idea was learning the message and spreading the message but doing it in a very soft manner, not by getting authoritarian and say, okay, let's pass this law that says you can have Bible reading in the school, you know, that approach. It has to be through persuasion. And I was also convinced by the argument that uh, uh, ideas cannot be stopped. Armies can't stop an idea uh, for an idea whose time has come. And right now, this hope that the time time has, excuse me, the time has come for the American people to stand up and say they want their constitutional rights back again, and they want certainly their First Amendment rights. Absolutely. I think that those are things worth fighting for and definitely spreading the message of liberty. From my point of view, I really, I'm, I'm a young man. I have um, a wife and children. I definitely want to get them out of the firing line. So we're not looking at anywhere in Europe right now. My wife is from China, so we don't want to be anywhere over there. We live in Latin America now. And if you look back traditionally through history over the last two world wars, South America was one of the only areas that you could go to that didn't have any conflict that were were neutral throughout these areas. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we've been messing around with South America and Central America for a long time. You know, the Monroe Doctrine was intended to be uh, that we were going to stay out of that business. But uh, and and I'm not, I'm, you know, what they do with libertarians so often. And I had this thrown at me in the campaign all the time. You're an isolationist. You're an isolationist. I said, 
who's the isolationist? The people who put on sanctions and provoke wars and do all these things. And, uh, that, that's uh, isolationism. A libertarian wants open borders as much as possible, but uh, controlled by private property and volunteerism. Uh, so the, the wars that we have on our own borders are all caused by government interference. But uh, and 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 that that's that is going to continue because they're not changing any any of the laws, and and now it's determined that uh, that we're going to see a time where uh, that might be the big issue that precipitates uh, a lot more violence. That's one worry we ought to have about uh, what's the, the movement we have now, because this whole idea of uh, just anybody coming in and invading and demanding to be taken care of, and they end up, uh, an illegal immigrant might get more largesse than an American citizen. And that's going to provoke a lot of a lot of anger. So, uh, but it's the idea of force, government force. Uh, <clears throat> I think the best example of how to look at use of force is uh, Bastiat. Bastiat uh, had, had a good uh, good law that he promoted. He said, if you and I can't go out and steal, rob, and kill, uh, why should the government do that, be allowed to do it? The government's doing it all the time. They start the wars illegally and all these things. They do it. But what about uh, what most people accept uh, outside of what I just said? They said, well, you have to help the poor. You have to take care of people here. So you have to have transfer of wealth. And therefore, you have to give up some of your liberties. And uh, then the government goes to your neighbor and steals from him, plunder him. Sebastian says, governments can't do anything that you and I can't do. If it's immoral for us to do it, why in the world do we allow the government to do it to us. That that just doesn't make any sense. And they say, oh, well, the world would be chaotic and you'd have all kinds of problems. <laughs> look at the world today and look at what's happening in our country and look at what's happened to us. You know, even, even in the last 10 years, certainly in the last 100 years, we've seen the disintegration of our republic. Absolutely. Keeping people, corporations, and government all to the same standards, it makes perfect sense. I don't know how... Um, some individuals out there can't grasp this. I don't know why they believe that there is separate rules for different types of organizations. A government is just an organization. A corporation is an organization. A community, a neighborhood is an organization. If I can't murder and steal and rape, why should the government be out doing these things? I mean, it's it's wrong. Wrong is wrong is wrong. Um, I think that we should all be held to the same standards. So it boils down to a moral issue. You know, in many ways, people have accepted the idea there's something sacred about government and they don't have to follow the morality that people have come to accept for thousands of years. You know, in the early, uh, earliest history that's recorded, uh, the laws that were written were written to regulate and punish violent activities, uh, you know, robbing and stealing uh, and killing. Uh, so th th that idea and that principle of a higher law has been around a long time. But then centuries have gone by <clears throat> where that is reversed. I would say the founders understood the principle of a higher law, and you can't have government doing these things. Uh, but it's uh, right now it's a struggle to revitalize that concept that there is a higher law. But the people who believe that there should be no law, and uh, because you can't know the truth, so therefore we can't have it. But we'll tell you what to do. Uh, we'll, we'll have this thing called wokeism. And uh, 
that they don't realize what they're doing. They're substituting a higher law with wokeism, which becomes a monstrous issue of uh, regulation and authoritarian and, and force. Exactly. Well, Dr. Paul, last question for you, because I know we're on a uh, tight deadline. Right. Um, any final predictions for 2024, what you expect we can see in 2024? I uh, wonder if you're thinking mostly about the election. <laughs> well, the uh, election, the wars, the yeah. a- anything. Well, I see, I always start with a little bit of hope. I, I think that people like like uh, this last month, we heard a little bit of hope uh, given to us from the Supreme Court. But no, I worry about the things that I've mentioned, and that is the thing that's out of control and it's not going to change because if uh, if I could do what I think should be done, like get rid of the Fed, quit spending the money, have no deficit, it wouldn't work. That would be the opening salvo of the revolution that goes goes. So I see economics uh, driving it. People are going to get poorer. There's going to be more unemployment. There's going to be more inflation. And there's going to be more wars because the war is designed to distract the people from what's going on at home. Besides, once the people exactly. uh, get, uh, you know, get into a war, then there's a lot of patriotic fervor and a desire to help out. So I'm afraid that will be what will happen in the next few years. Amazing. Dr. Paul, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And we hope to see you back on the program soon. Thank you. Great to be with you. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.